Welcome to the CFC Jacks Midweek Podcast, where we discuss topics related to becoming a fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ follower. We hope that wherever you are today, you'll be encouraged by the truths discussed in this podcast. Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us for Q&A. This is your opportunity to send in questions uh, that you might have stirring in your heart or your mind from the sermon this morning. And so we'd encourage you to send them in. Numbers up on the screen and Doug will be happy to answer them for you. (laughs) Give it my best shot. Here we go. Um, So we do have some that have already come in. We'll go ahead and get rolling. I like it. Um, First question is about temptation. If God doesn't tempt us, why does he allow it to happen? Huh. The uh, James chapter one talks about there's a distinction between tempting us and testing us. So Mm. there is a a testing that reveals where we are. When you think about uh, all of us have been in school, uh, when we took a test, it may have been tempting to steal someone else's answers to cheat. But the point of the test was not to tempt us. The point of the test was to reveal what was true in our life, what we knew and what we didn't know. And uh, I always recall uh, Hudson Taylor when he was a guy who started China Inland Mission. And he realized that when people went to the mission field and lived in inland China, that they would experience significant testing, Mm -hmm. which was not tempting of the Lord. Circumstances would test them. And so he's meeting with this prospective missionary candidate one time, and he starts pounding on the table. And as he's pounding on the table, uh, it's England, and so having these little cups of tea, the, the tea starts pouring out, uh, spilling out of the, the little cups. And he simply says, that's, that's what's going to happen to you in China. Circumstances and difficulties are going to pound on your life, and it's going to reveal what is in you. What's in you is going to pour out of you. I think I even used that expression in the sermon this morning, and I had that picture of Hudson Taylor in my mind when mm. I said that. And that helps That often helps me in times of difficulty. I say to myself, Doug, this is just revealing what is in you. This is not God tempting me to sin. This is God revealing really where I am in my relationship with Him, where I am in my uh, love for Him, in my commitment to truth, in my commitment to purity. And so uh, I think that's... uh, the, for me, that's the distinction between God uh, testing me to then it says produce uh, in James chapter 1, those, those testing produces endurance and endurance have it, has its perfect results so that we would compl- be complete lacking in nothing. So that testing reveals where I am, where I'm not in order that I might grow where so... Uh, this would be another distinction, lots of words here, so don't miss it, <laughs> that testing has a future growth intent and tempting mm-hmm. has a destruction intent. Mm-hmm. Tem- temptation is intended to destroy me, to discredit me, to discourage me, to shut me up, to shut me down. Testing is in 
intended, James chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 is intended to build me up, to grow me so that I would be complete. So I think that's why God tests us because he is force and wants us to grow and doesn't tempt us because he's not trying to destroy us. Hmm. There's another question here. Um, if God is not tempted, how is it that Jesus was tempted in oh. all things, yet still God? Sure. Excellent question. Uh, there are a number of things uh, at core, the answer to this is, and then I'll try to illustrate. At core, uh, the scripture says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus laid aside uh, his rights and privileges mm. as God. Uh, because the life of Jesus was intended to demonstrate how God truly intended man to live. So, Jesus was fully, he was never less than God, but he was never more than man as God intended man to live. There are a number of things, not just uh, what was true about Jesus being tempted. So, yes, he was never less than God, but never more than a man. So, he was tempted as man is tempted. God doesn't need sleep, but Jesus in John chapter 4 gets tired. That's true. God is mm -hmm. eternal, but Jesus does die. God is eternal, but Jesus was born. God has no need, but Jesus did get hungry. So we have the Son of God, who was never less than God, who was born, did get hungry, did get tired, did get tempted, and did die. All the things that you go, oh, I didn't think that that could be true of God. It's because, again, God took on human flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth in order to show what God intend, how God intended man to live, uh, really live in relationship with him. That's why Jesus uh, in John chapter 14, uh, he says, this really significantly impacted me and my, un my understanding of Jesus. See, at core, this question is more than just a theological debate. Mm -hmm. At core, this question gets at how we are often, um, we take Jesus and we put him in a different category and we go, yeah, but he was God. As if the life that Jesus lived is not the life that he's invited us to live. But the life that he lived is the life that he invites us to live because uh, when he is with his disciples in the upper room and he says, and Philip says to him, uh, Lord uh, Jesus, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I not been with you? Have I been uh so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The, word, the words that I say to you, 
I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. That's the life that Jesus invites us to live. Jesus abiding in us, doing his works as we don't speak and do on our own initiative, but only what he tells us. The life that Jesus lived in relationship with the Father is the life that we're intended to live as we are in relationship with Christ. So, uh, yes, Jesus was never less than God, but he laid aside the rights and privileges of being God and lived as man, as God intended man to really live. That's uh, You go back and, and read through the Gospel of John, and you'll see repeatedly Jesus uh, saying, he didn't just say this once in John 14, he says this repeatedly in the Gospel, that I don't speak on my own initiative, I don't mm-hmm. act on my own initiative. We think Jesus did what, he was God, he did what he wanted, no. He did what the Father told him to do. And there was times where that was hard for him. John chapter 12, he says, my heart is troubled. Uh, We see him in the Gospels, in the garden, sweating blood. I mean, he is troubled. He is feeling the weight of what God intended him to do. The Father intended him to do it. And he says, I don't act on my own initiative. So uh, I can always, and I've learned this, I can always look to the example of Jesus and not discredit it as if, well, he was God, I can always look to the life of Jesus and the example that he gave and say, that's the life that I'm intended to live in him as he lived in the Father. I'm in him, he's in me, Jesus is in the Father, and the Father was in Jesus. John chapter 14, huge change in my life. Mm. Yeah, reading through the book of John and just following the life of Christ is an incredible example of that relationship. I know you've shared that before, reading the book of John, his relationship with the Father and the power of that and the example it sets for us. Yes. Yeah. Interestingly, that John is often, and I understand, is, is described as the gospel of John is the book that proves that Jesus is the Son of God. It's actually by his words that he does say, I am the son of God, but it's also through his words that he says, but I live as a man, as God intended man to live, only doing what the father tells me to do according to his power. It's the father abiding me, abiding in me, doing his works. That's what Jesus said. The father in me doing his works. And then he says, abide in me as I abide in you, and you'll bear much fruit. So it's Jesus living in me, doing his works is the life that God intends us to live. Setting the example for us. Yeah. I always discounted the example of Jesus Mm. because he was God and I'm not. And I'm not saying I'm God. (laughs) I'm saying I'm in relationship with Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth was in relationship with the Mm. Father. Yeah. Uh, So... Part of the sermon this morning, we were talking about the enemy, about Sam Ballot and his goal to distract, deceive, and discredit. Yes. Um, I have a question here about uh, about this. If we have been discredited by sin that we have uh, excused, how do we regain credibility? Awesome question. Uh, first of all, appreciate the um, the humility, the honesty uh, that sin has discredited. Uh, that which goes up must come down. <laughs> that which was lost can be mm. regained. It's no doubt it's easier to lose than it is to regain. So 
I want, everything I'm going to say has to be cloaked in this. Be patient. Hmm, it's, right. it's, uh, you're married, I'm married. We both know this. It's easier, uh, you can break trust quickly. It takes a while to rebuild trust. You were a teenager, I was a teenager. In relationship with our parents, it can take a while to build trust, but you can lose it quickly. Yes. So is it true that sin can quickly discredit and it take longer to rebuild credit than it does to to lose it? Yes. So be patient. Mm -hmm. So what's the patient path back? The patient path back is first, we humbly acknowledge. We don't ignore or just now excuse our excusable sin. That'll be the tempting right. part. Mm-hmm. I know, and then we're, we're now admitting it, but we're still excusing it. So no excuse for it. That's humility. No excuse for it. I was wrong. I did wrong. And then I acted like it wasn't wrong, which was even more wrong. We, we humbly admit what we did and then what we did as if it wasn't wrong. And then the, the path back is not complicated. It's slow. It's deliberate. It's saying, uh, I'm going to resist the temptation to excuse or justify new opportunities for sin. And if that's in, if you've discredited yourself in your family, you know, um, let's make it real here. Uh, a man is unfaithful to his spouse. And... He loses all sense of trust with her and credibility with the kids. That's real life. Can he ever gain that back? Very slowly, but he can. If she will uh, be gracious and forgive and stay in the relationship, then you show yourself to be trustworthy in your faithfulness. Here's where it gets hard. Our sin leaves consequences. Uh, we, we, we reap consequences of our sin. And some of that, even when we're forgiven, we still reap consequences. And some of the, the consequences for unfaithfulness is now, even when I haven't done wrong, my scout, my, my scout, my spouse will be suspicious that I have done wrong, or leftover feelings of the betrayal will come out even if you didn't do wrong. And it will be easy to go, no, I'm doing right, and and think it's not fair that you're treating me as if I'm doing wrong. Uh, That may be true, but it is part of the consequence of living with, I have broken trust, and it'll take time to rebuild trust. So sometimes that rebuilding of trust will be enduring, and I'm not excusing it, but enduring the sinful behavior back at you because of your sin. I didn't excuse it. It's just going to be a reality. And if you are unwilling to live with that that comes back to you and say, not fair, you are actually probably going to convince your spouse that they shouldn't forgive you. They shouldn't let it go because you're not willing to do for them what you're asking them to do for you. I hope you followed that. Did that make sense? Yeah. It's it's the giving of forgiveness. Yes. Like You have to be willing to yes. give that. 
even if it's not necessarily asked for. And, and so, again, you can give forgiveness and receive forgiveness, mm-hmm. but trust is rebuilt over time mm-hmm. and recognizing I'm not starting at neutral any longer. I'm starting at a deficit. uh, below the ground, if you will. And so for that new wall to stand, I'm going to have to build a foundation, and that takes longer often than than we like. So um, I don't... I hope it's been clear. I made a huge emphasis on being patient and recognizing it won't be easy. And and you're going to endure, most likely, the consequences of your sin. Don't justify new sin because they responding sin to, sinfully because of your past sin. That will be the new justification that will be your mm-hmm. temptation. And so I realize what I'm experiencing, I was part, if I'm the unfaithful spouse, I have to be willing to go, part of what I am experiencing, I created. Mm-hmm. That that fearful, accusatory, I was part of creating that person. But here's the good news. If I was part of creating that, I can be part of recreating a new, trusting, non-accusing person. It's just going to take time because you're starting at a deficit. Mm-hmm. It, it is possible. Yes, it is. And and really, if you're in that situation and wonder if it's possible, I can I can literally connect you with folks who have walked that hard path and trust has been rebuilt. The past, uh, it's not like it's forgotten, but it's been recovered and I could put you in touch so you could reach out to me. That's a good question. It is. Um, Next question here. When do we stand up for what is right versus leaving room for God to do what he does? Yeah. Good question. Um, Nothing I said would say you don't stand up for what's right. Nehemiah, and and I, for sake of minutes this morning, I I skipped a part that I wish I wouldn't have. I skipped a part where when Nehemiah prays, oh God, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands, he doesn't just pray. He then goes back and gets to work. Mm -hmm. So, Did he do what's right? Did he stand up for what is right? Did he continue to do what is good while leaving room for the wrath of God? 100%. So we don't just pray and then say, okay, God, you know, finish the wall. We pray, oh, God, strengthen my hands, and then we go pick up the shovel. (laughs) There's a little cartoon that says, God doesn't expect me to pray for a hole while leaning on a shovel. Giving you the tool to do the work. Yes, yes. So uh, sometimes we pray, 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 and we never act. And other times we act, 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 and never pray. Well, the beauty of the example of Nehemiah was he prayed and acted, he prayed and acted, he prayed and acted three times in his life while in Jerusalem. We see him pray and act, pray and act, pray and act in response to difficulties and hardships. So uh, I don't think I... And I apologize if I communicated this. In no way am I saying leaving room for the for the wrath of God means I don't stand up for what is right. I stand up for what is right, and I allow God to repay that which has been done wrong. I don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so a lot of the foundation what we talked about is fear and the limitation yes. of fear. So, question here: How do I rid my life of fear? 
You want to answer that one? We can't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can change our response to fear, but we can't yeah, stop. Yeah, and I don't mean to be silly when I say this. If uh, you missed last week, I encourage you to go back. I mm-hmm. used an expression that the I don't know that we'll ever rid our life from fear. Mm-hmm. Perfect love cast out all fear. So there may be in heaven. No, 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 no. Maybe in heaven we will be. Uh, all fear will be gone. Right. But we see now in a glass darkly, and so we don't understand fully and completely at all time God's perfect love for us, and so fear is still going to be present. Mm-hmm. But I do hope this shift happens. I hope a shift goes where sin moves from master in my life, always causing me to act in what I do, to become a stranger in my life. Strangers are present in my life that just don't have rule in my life. Present but not rule. Masters are present and rule. I want to make sin, a, excuse me, fear a stranger in my life. The reality is I'm never going I, I I don't I cannot imagine anyway me going for a year and never experiencing fear or mm-hmm. discouragement. Right. I think they're going to show up at some point. Even for the most positive person, it's the fear and discouragement are going to show up at some point. The goal is not to rid of rid of the goal is to rid its influence in my life. Um, so <clears throat> Tracy is correct. You can't, but I'm not sure that was the most helpful. I'm just, no, yeah. <laughs> I, just I know direct. you were teasing. I was, <laughs> it was a lot shorter. You can't, <laughs> but, there, but so set the goal, set the goal to go. It's here. Mm-hmm. It's not as uh, ruling in my life as it once was. That's a, that's a journey that I'm grateful that I can say, the Lord has taken me down. Um, it's less ruling in my life. And an opportunity again for our dependence on the Lord. Yes. For our abiding in Christ and dependence on the Lord. It's another just grateful, even in those those hard opportunities, the Lord uses us to draw those to Him. Yes. Draw us to Him. Yeah. In fact, and I know we're about out of time. Uh, in fact, it's sometimes the wrong goal to say, I need it to get out of my life. Right. I'm. I am thankful for its presence mm-hmm. in my life, in the sense that it does drive me to dependence. Because when I'm weak and He is strong, uh, when I'm scared, then I can experience His sufficiency. Yeah, daily dependence. Yeah, and momentary, <laughs> moment by moment, to cry out, Lord. But now, oh God, strengthen yes. my hands. Yep. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you guys have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the CFC Jacks podcast. Be sure to watch as we release new teachings weekly, along with additional content during the week. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.cfcjacks.com. Thanks for listening.